Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Components. I'm Ren, product marketer at Hereto and your podcast MC. I'm Patrick, CEO here at Hereto. And I'm Jared, lead solutions consultant. Thanks for joining us on our weekly conversation about componentized and structured content. Hope you enjoy this 15 or so minutes of fun talking about everything from data to innovations in AI. All right, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is John Baker. I'm the audio engineer for the Content Components podcast. So basically, it's my job to make sure that Patrick, Jared, and Tim sound good. I just wanted to let you know that today's episode is actually a part two to last week's episode, which asks the question, what is DITA? Now, we left off the previous episode with Patrick talking about the intentions of DITA to be an 80 to 100% solution for knowledge and reference content. And in talking about that founding intent, Patrick mentions a recent article from a headless CMS company that criticizes DITA as being too complex. And this is despite the fact that this headless CMS framework is literally incapable of delivering the same solutions as a DITA system. So in this week's episode, we pick it back up with Tim asking Patrick about what a headless CMS even is and how does that compare to DITA? Enjoy. Oh, hot dang. That's some good coffee. My wife rocks. Yeah, that's. I think I've I've learned more about coffee than DITA <laughs> in my more than a year of being here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I have learned a shit ton about coffee. Yeah, we, we like coffee. We like coffee. Yeah, so I learned. My first day was an intimidating one. I like came in with a cup of coffee from like a local coffee shop. And then I was like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> oh yeah, super offensive. Way to go. Everyone's just like looking. Developers <laughs> not saying a word, but just staring. We're all like, we're all like what is he doing? Because you did start talking about headless, what what is headless? What does headless CMS mean? Oh boy, um, <laughs> I think it depends a little bit on you on who you ask. I'll give you two different definitions. Uh, one is that a headless CMS is just a CMS where the primary method of the content arriving at a consumer is over an API and then into some type of a modern web framework. Let me be a little bit, you know, less obtuse in saying that. So like headless CMSs take away the aspect of creating uh, content as pages. You create content as content, uh, which is uh, which is really good. It's, it's, it's a good, it's a positive move forward, but you have to build your own information architecture from the ground up in a headless CMS every single time. Now, a lot of it's going to be pretty simple. It's like, you know, a, a blog is a blog, right? There's no need to like screw around with that. But um, you may have things that describe more semantic um, pieces of, of, of what you are as a company. And the thing that's, that's a little bit interesting, so you're kind of getting my second definition of headless CMS now. Um, it's a platform for implementing an information for a custom information, information architecture and then delivering that um, over an API is basically what it comes down to. So you might have like an object for like person, you might have an object for, um, let's say you're like, the, 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 easy, the, the easy example is that you're a company that sells tickets to an event, like you're, you're a venue. Um, so you'd have like 
you know, events, you'd have um, a band or an act, like an act might be a thing. You'd have, um, you know, a person because they'd be a part of the act, right? Like you could see how these things connect together. And so, you know, for every organization that uses this, <clears throat> they're going to have slightly different objects that encompass their content. And then the way that those are extracted and built into other things um, is going to be based on the delivery layer. So the thing is that in the future, an organization, which is a high tech company, is probably going to use both some type of a headless paradigm that's very custom IA oriented, information architecture oriented, which could be what we currently see as the headless CMSs and also data. And the reason that that would be is because like when you think about the description of the business, part of the, the content stack, like, um, you know, again, going back to the events company, like, um, you know, the venue and the, like all that kind of stuff, that stuff is, <clears throat> is not incredibly standard. It can be very different based on your organization. Um, but when you get to documentation and reference content and knowledge content, that stuff is very, very similar no matter who you are. It's like articles, answers to questions, um, guides, learning paths. Like everybody kind of uses the same stuff. And that's not because there's no, it's not because like there's something in, um, stopping us from using more custom stuff. It's that there's no benefit in using custom stuff. So it's just two very different applications. And that's where, you know, Dita falls under the, the reference knowledge side of the house and um, roll your own headless CMSs fall onto the, I don't want to say the Marcom side of the house because it's not really appropriate, but like the more like, um, like front page.com, you know, app widget, that kind of stuff side of the house. Yeah, I don't think, I think you're right. It's not quite marketing, but it's also not, it's not the technical stuff that you're going to, that you're going to need to reference all the time. Well, it's right. not reference content. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to is that, you know, there's and so th there's a couple other things that and this is like, you know, now we're getting into <laughs> Ditto versus Headless, um, which maybe is just a great conversation anyways. But um, there's a couple of other things that really are important distinctions between the content like reference content and Headless content. Like one of the things. You, so Headless content is tabular. Um, it's the, it, like, what you do is you basically define fields and ha like headless CMSs are basically just CMSs wrapped around web forms. Now they add a lot of, well, they add a lot of value around them. Um, and there are some good headless CMSs out there. Like uh, this is not, that's not a knock on a headless CMS at all. Um, it's actually like the way that they're set up is, is a very smart thing for the, the thing they're trying to solve. Um, but they are effectively web forms and one of the things that you can't really do in all the headless CMSs that I've seen is you can't do any um, really strong link management or um, content inclusion at the sub like block level. So like, cause like once you're into the table, you're unstructured is that is what it really comes down to. And that's something which is really pretty much disqualifying for a more complex uh, technical content, reference content environment. So if you're really dealing with product content, like it really is just kind of disqualifying. Um, and it's because like, 
there is, you know, there are, there are generally speaking, like pretty advanced linking structures, pretty advanced variables. Um, you have two different products, very, very similar products, um, but the names are slightly different. You know, DITA provides you mechanisms for um, modifying that content, that one, that, that name, just that noun, you know, based on the different use cases. So, um, you know, when you're looking at scaling up your content to being hundreds of thousands of objects, hundreds of thousands of pages, hundreds of thousands of whatever, you have to get to the point where you're, you're, you're efficiently and intelligently leveraging the reuse structures that come with Dita. And the thing that's, that's always, I've always found funny in like the anti-Dita community is that if you really go and watch what they do, they almost all reinvent Dita eventually, like in something else. So like you go and you watch like the docs as code community, like the, one of the leading, um, docs as code structures, like once they start to get to the requirements that Dita is really intended to fulfill is restructured text and restructured text gets really complicated. And it's because you're basically rebuilding all the structures and all the, all the things that Dita does, you know, like it reaches the same level of complexity. It's just marked up a little bit differently, but like generally speaking, it, it gets to a very, very similar point. And so the, the reason that you have all these mechanisms in Dita is because you need them. Like that's <laughs> just, just what it is. Also so much for not monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's fascinating. So there there are people who are so anti-Dita that they will go out of their way to, do they know that they're recreating what is a Dita structure? Like once they get to it, are they like, oh shit, this already exists and I talk crap about it all the time. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen that level of recognition very many times. Um, but what you, what I think what I have seen recently, and although I, I will admit that I haven't, you know, just due to being ex- exceptionally busy recently, I haven't been as involved in the, um, like the, the peripheral communities for tech com, um, as I typically am. Um, but I have seen a lot of the vitriol, uh, mm-hmm. die down a bit, um, because I think that people have, there has, there has been, as there has been more interaction between people moving between Docs' code and data, they've started to realize yeah. the benefits of both. Um, and also the, the, um, the issues with both. I think that like there's, there's that too. Um, so like one of the problems with, with Docs' code is that you almost always end up building your own delivery pipeline. Yep. Um, so like there's a lot of that, there's a lot of like actual maintenance involved. And like maybe that will get solved, but part of the reason that so like and so this is so this comes back to like the what is data thing. I think this is a really a really good thing to, to tie it all together. Part of the reason that you haven't seen really standardized tools grow up around um, Docs's code, although you've seen some some relatively good ones, um, is that there's that Markdown isn't a standard in the way that Dita is. Markdown is kind of a set of rough concepts and everybody implements their own flavor. And when you start needing to do more advanced things, systems have to introduce functionality that kind of embeds themselves into the content 
that means that it's not portable anymore. So like there's, you, you can knock the portability of data a little bit between certain data systems. Like not all data systems are created equal in terms of how portable they are. Um, shameless plug, easy data's portability is 100% spec. Um, so like that's the thing that we've been really, really careful about. Like you download that content out of easy data and it's human readable, it's in a folder structure, it's run, runnable through the data open toolkit, there's no proprietary markup, like it's a hundred percent spec data. And some of the other data systems are quite good about that too. Not all of them, but even the ones that aren't, it's so much closer that the conversion is usually a process of dealing with links, like link structures, that kind of stuff. And that's annoying, but it's not disqualifying. It's not the same thing as like doing a true, like soup to nuts, like content conversion where you have like loss and fidelity and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's a very different paradigm. Um, and it also means that like you can use different tools in the chain for different things. So um, one of the challenges that you run into with using something which is not standards based is that when you build a pipeline for it, the different, the different pieces of that pipeline, the different tools in the chain, since they don't have anything to conform to, they don't have a common set of rules and therefore you end up having to build really custom things around them. So like you have to build and maintain and you have to do that all internally. So, um, you know, you, you kind of either are in running on a standard and then you get interoperability or you aren't. Um, and when you aren't, you really get centralized around proprietary systems and they may work really well, but it's not, but it does create a situation where building a true ecosystem is very difficult. Because you're sort of at some point or another bending to whatever that proprietary requirement might be. Yeah. I mean, like, so to, th to think about it this way, think about international shipping. So one of the big revolutions in shipping came um, during or after one of the world wars. Uh, you know, I had this written down somewhere, but I don't remember exactly. I mean, obviously it's on the internet. Um, and it was that they came up with a standardized shipping container. And before that, like when they were loading and offloading things on a boats, they were literally just like, it could be a bag. It could be like a box. It could be a big box, like literally anything went into these boats and people would like, like Tetris style stuff, stuff onto these boats. And that is obviously not the way it works anymore. But if you think about the fact that what we did was we came up with an international um, dimension for this box that could go from a train to a truck to a boat and everybody started using that meant that you could standardize all of the systems around the delivery of stuff, right? If we had gone to a point of saying, um, okay, we're going to use um, this, you know, the Acme Corp box, um, you have to, you have to build you have to buy Acme Corp stuff or integrate with Acme Corp to use their box. Like think about how much that would have show, that would have sl slowed things down because not everybody's going to use that vendor, right? Not everybody's going to conform to that particular set of rules for that one company, right? Like that's the difference between proprietary and open is that like open allows you to build is allows it allows everybody to build around a, an idea around a structure around a standard. 
Um, and that's the difference between data and you know something that even is very, very good in, in like proprietary. The proprietary can be great in um, in a a small environment, like a small place, like when it's when you only have like this is my entire domain. I'm not doing anything outside of this. Um, geographically, whatever proprietary can be awesome. But like when you say I don't control the domain, I don't control the geography, I don't control the entire implementation. You have to go with something which is open and standardized. I think we could we could even make this, you know, for the groups that we work with often. If you're going to implement a solution, something that's designed and specific for your reference material or your tech pubs. So let's say you get something that's proprietary um, and it, it gets the job done, and that's great. And for that team that's getting the job done, they don't care what the format is. They don't care. Who cares what's under the hood as long as it does what we need to do? That's fine. But then if you're going to incorporate that, if you want to use any of that content, that somebody has invested a lot of time and the, or, <clears throat> excuse me, the organization has invested a lot of money in, if you want to use that in, say, marketing materials or anything else, you can't now because it's a proprietary format and it's not going to play nicely with whatever the rest of the ecosystem has. So, you know, in our case internally, if I write something that's for, say, our user guide or the new user guide, or I write some piece for um, API docs or something, we can leverage that some other place. We could put sections of that into marketing materials that we have saved in Easy Data as well. And it's as simple as you guys on the marketing team grabbing that piece of content, dragging it into a map and being like, we're done. And so it contributes to the full content ecosystem to have them on the same format. And if you have a proprietary format and a system that's designed for a small piece of that content ecosystem, there better be some amazing APIs that are backing all that up. If you want it to be actually to fit into a full content ecosystem and play nicely with it. And more often than not, it just doesn't play nicely because it's not designed to. Well, I think, the, I think that, that, I think that might be a, a little bit too absolute. Um, I think the thing I would say is that, if you're using a proprietary, well, I guess it depends on the proprietary system. Um, but like if you're using a proprietary system, like a headless CMS, it's not that it can't be used other places. So it definitely can be. That's the purpose of those things. But you have to build, you have to build around it everywhere you go. Like you're always creating, um, you're always creating a new connection. Like it's always conforming to that thing. And like, it all becomes very based on that. And you end up in a situation where, and so this gets back to like one of the things that's, that that's one of the data things, which is the inheritance is what allows this system to grow independently. And that's like one of the key things that I always talk about with data. Um, so the inherit, the inheritance, the specialization part of the evolution, the Darwinian part of data is really, really key to enterprise content strategy. And it's the, the reason it's key is because it allows different groups to evolve the content architecture, the information architecture independently without breaking each other's stuff. So if I need to add a new piece of structure to describe something that's semantically important to me, I can specialize it off of a paragraph or a list item or a step or whatever else, a section. And when I include that content, if there are 20 other groups that are deriving output from our content, 
and their output doesn't isn't aware of my new structure, it'll just treat it as the thing it's specialized off of. It'll just treat it as a paragraph. It'll just treat it as a section. It'll just treat it as a list item, whatever the base thing is. So we don't end up in the situation where we get stuck because that's one of the things that, that happens with systems that span, um, that, that grow to be enterprise is that I need something, but I can't do it because I have to wait for you to be ready for me to do it. And that is, that's a really, really significant and important thing. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons that I think that that is probably the reason that I think that Dita is becoming one of the most common choices for true enterprise architectures. Content rules, but it can be a lot. I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of these topics are connected, but our short podcast episodes barely scratch the surface. Have no fear, because in the description, we have links to videos, blog posts, and other information that help shine some light on some of the more intense, murky topics. In no time, you're going to have a little bit better idea about structured content and enterprise content strategy. Hope you enjoy.